shop with your favourite cousins, James and Alex Fitzgerald. We both join you today from our respective studios and we want to talk about, or I want to ask you, favourite TV show of all time. I like this one because uh, it's getting a bit colder. <laughs> We're uh, we're well into autumn now, and I'm certainly finding with a with a newborn that uh, TV um. my TV watching has really <laughs> up. So I'm hoping I could even pick up uh, a good show that I, I could watch here. But I'm going to go. I had to go with two. I'm going to go favorite one that you could just put on at any moment, and you you'd just love it, even if you're mid app, like you know when you you totally. turn the TV on. Totally. Seinfeld. Just 100%. Quotable, favourite TV show where anytime it's on, if it's ever on, you know, Peach or, or one of those um, TV <laughs> stations, I'll just settle in for 20 minutes and watch it. Uh, but another one, and I don't reckon you've watched this one, but I'm going to say it is one mm. of the most bingeable TV shows I've ever watched, and that is Friday Night Lights. It's, a, it's set in a – it's like a high school where they've got a oh football my. team and um, – Oh, gee whiz, there's a few storylines there. That uh, had me going for good seven seasons, I reckon. What, seven seasons? Seven is that seasons. how long it is? And I, I, I miss it deeply. <laughs> is it a show you could rewatch for sure or you've already oh, rewatched it like three times? I don't think so. Once mm-hmm. you've watched it once, it's, it's done its thing. It's not like the Seinfeld where you can rewatch every episode and, and still mm. enjoy it. What do you got for me? Seinfeld is definitely up there, but the first show that comes to mind for me is Entourage. I just love that show. It it must have had a solid, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, but seven or eight seasons, and it's just such a I reckon maybe even more. Great, maybe more. Great stories. um, Like the characters are just so great. And, again, you can just turn on any episode and just go, oh, like just love it. You know, and, and yes, I've seen it all through from the start to the end at some point, not recently, but I love watching that. And there was a lot of entourage marathons on Foxtel during COVID. And so we sort of relived and, and rewatched a bit of entourage. But I reckon, you know, one day when, you know, I'm a bit sick or, you know, I've, I've just got to do nothing but switch off, I'll, I'll be turning entourage straight on, straight on. And then obviously, like, you've got your friends, you've got your How I Met Your Mother. Um, the classics. But, but the, yeah. the classics, right? You know, we, we almost don't need to bring those up. They're so classic. But I, I would put Seinfeld in that category for sure. Listeners, if you've got one, um, email it through. I'm, I'm looking for TV shows right now. Bingeable Especially if it's like, TV shows. Yeah, bingeable, like unrelated, uh, sorry, un- under underappreciated. You know, I've actually got one for you because it's um, – uh, maybe it's not for you. I'm not. I'm not 100% sure. But it's called Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and it's actually quite hard to Never find in it. Australia. But I've I've found it on Apple TV. But I absolutely love it. It's like the modern Seinfeld, but maybe a little bit sillier. Um, but yeah, listeners, if you like Always Sunny, you you're automatically one of my best friends. <laughs> okay, so switching tact a little bit now, we are seeing an absolute. Explosion, I'll call it. In fact, you want to call it an extravaganza. I'm going to call it an explosion of migration and population growth in Australia. We've been banging on about this for a little while now, haven't we? But a bit of of context for people. Population Mm. growth means more people coming to Australia than leaving, more people being birthed than dying. Mm -hmm. And it's generally, generally good for the economy 
and good for investing because it means that we are growing and, and therefore so is the economy and so is things like property prices. And it's very good for property because we only have a finite supply of houses and land and so as the population grows, it, it creates demand for housing and pushes up the pricing. We didn't see a lot of it during the pandemic but it is coming back with a vengeance, isn't it? Like significantly and I think you even dug up this uh, this Australian article that that reflected on the first three months of the financial year. So that would have been um, middle of last year, um, oh, sorry, what, July, August, September, where we had a net inflow of 106,000 migrants. Um, and that was like absolutely huge because what they've said was that this was one of the largest quarterly additions in the history of the data series since 1979. So just to put that number in context, I mean, 1979, that is, that's a big, significant three-month churn, 106,000 migrants. And, and it's funny, you know, because we're talking about it now, it, not halfway through 2023, but significantly into 2023, and we're reflecting on last year, which is, you know, quite interesting. Um, mm. And the forecasts for the rest of the year, cars are huge. Well, yeah, and, and for a bit of bit of background, the Australian population was about twelve and a half million people in nineteen seventy one when they started doing uh, the censuses in a, in a more formal way. Uh, fast forward to fast forward to the mid two thousands, and the Australian population would grow by roughly one million people every five years, right? But then what happened in the mid two thousands is we realised that we had this ageing population. And so to mm. account for more people um, leaving the workforce and needing healthcare and the pension um, to, to people that are working, uh, we need to bring in workers from overseas yep. to put more taxpayers into the economy so that we've got more taxpayers to subsidise the ageing population. 2008 mm. eight and 2009, we had an explosion in population growth. We had more overseas migrants than we've ever had they're forecasting that we're on track in 2023 to hit the 2008-09 mark. And for a bit of context, population now grows by roughly 2 million people every five years. They're talking about a million people in just the next two years. That's Wowza. significant. And I guess it is a little bit concerning as well because it's oh, coming yeah. at a time where we, we, we're also a little bit behind on our housing supply um, so no doubt the government are going to have to do something to, to create the housing for these people to live in, but we mm. desperately need them for the economy as well. We do. And, and you know, I mean, it's, it's um, our unemployment still extremely low, three and a half percent. So I guess we can expect to see that creep up a little more, but, you know, it brings in a lot of really key workers as well to Australia. So there's there's so many different facets to this conversation, isn't there? I mean, we need yeah. migrants. We have an ageing and, and retiring population. So we do. We have to fill those jobs. Uh, the statistics like a year and a bit ago were pretty compelling whereby, um, simply put, about 12% of the population were reaching 65 years old. So getting to an age where they could retire or access their pension or, or access, um, sorry, their super or access the pension and only 6% of our population were turning 14, which was considered a, an age that could work. <laughs> and 
And obviously the 14-year-olds aren't replacing the 65-year-olds' jobs. <laughs> so, no, so bit, of a, like, bit of a gap in experience. Yeah. Uh, like just, you know, a little bit, um, you know, but like we are learning at a rapid pace, these young kids, this young generation, but exactly why we've got to bring them in and it's such a media sensation at the moment, migration alongside affordability of, of renting and, and housing. So, look, I mean, we, we need solutions for both, um, but, you know, there are a lot of exciting elements to migration. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, the fundamentals of property values are fairly simple. If there's more demand than there is supply, prices go up. If there's more supply than there is demand, prices go down or, or flatline. Uh, it's impossible not to see a situation where we don't have more demand than supply mm. when we've got a million people coming into the country in a two-year period when there's literally a, a half a percent vacancy rate in a lot of capital cities around Australia. Um, it may also mean that mm. we see some really unusual rental growth persist. You know, we, we've seen rents growing at 10, 20 percent mm. in different capital cities in Australia. We may see that persist for a little while longer if we see this uh, massive run in overseas migration because most people coming from overseas don't buy a house when they get here. They want to rent because uh, they don't know the area. So yeah. it's going to have a really short-term effect on rents and I think a more medium-term effect on values. Absolutely. And look, I mean, the the hard facts are that at least 80% of those migrants will go towards capital cities. Um, so, of course, you and I talk about still investing uh, near or, or within that metro fringe for the for the key reason that jobs, um, that's where the bulk of the jobs are and, and a diversity of jobs. So we're still bullish on that and the migrants are going there and, and that's where the jobs are coming from. So, look, I mean, if you're looking at buying an investment property and or, or you're just looking generally, like a lot of people love to just look, um, look where those high population growth areas are going, where they're going to be and they'll be around um, transport hubs, uh, big job hubs and, and um, areas that are, you know, reasonably affordable. Yeah. You, that's all, and that's you, all i got to say about that. If you're a recent migrant listening to the pod, welcome to Australia. Welcome to Australia. The Olympics 2032, cars coming up your way, Brisbane. Everybody's talking about it. And the question on many lips <laughs> is that, like, are we really – over-sensationalising the Olympics booming Queensland. Well, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? We've, we've been getting a lot of questions about the Olympics and uh, we thought we'd maybe deal with it in, in the main pod because it's, it's a hard one yeah. to answer briefly. You've got to really unpack a bit of history, mm. go back in time. But look, you know, mm. the, the reality is for most cities that have had an Olympics, if they've done it well, it has been an enormous boon for that city. It's created a lot of jobs in the lead up to the Olympics. It's uh, provided a justification for building, you know, um, legacy infrastructure that not only exists exactly. to facilitate the influx of people who come to visit, to, to experience the Olympics, but hopefully it has a long lasting impact that allows the governments to build that infrastructure, which allows them to grow off the back of the Olympics. And then what, what we see a lot of the time is it brings a city really onto the world stage and gives it an international presence and recognition, which causes a lot of overseas migration in the years following. So you, you generally see a lot of jobs and infrastructure built in the lead up and then a lot of population and migration, if it's done well, uh, following mm. that. And 
the really the only example of of recent times and significance that we've got uh, in our own backyard is the Sydney 2000 Olympics, which admittedly was only 23 years ago, so it's not not too long. Um, but we saw we saw an absolute boom in property prices uh, in Sydney around that time, didn't we? We did. So uh, from 1997, so three years before the 2000 Olympics, and I remember it really well. I remember it so well watching it. And I, I, was, a, I was a young tacker, but I really do remember it. Kathy Freeman um, stands out as my lasting memory. Kathy Freeman does stand memory. out. Mm. Was it Ian Thorpe there or was Ian it Ian Thorpe, Hackett? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, was he? he yeah, yeah, was yeah. 16 years old, yeah. Ian Thorpe no and Kathy way. Freeman. Mm. And he was swimming in the Olympics. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And I just remember um, strawberry kisses coming out of, you know, the next couple of years thanks to uh, <laughs> Nikki, <laughs> Nikki Webster. Webster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like she was just so iconic, wasn't she? Anyway, sorry, just a real quick throwback because looking at Sydney 2000 Olympics and thinking of it just really does, it, it throws me back. But, yeah, we saw the median house price in Sydney more than double between 1997 and uh, 2003. So the three years before and the three years after, which is really interesting, isn't it, when you just yeah. look at the, the build-up. I mean, in Brisbane now, uh, some of those infrastructure projects are beginning. Um, and, yeah. and, and by the way, to put a bit of, of, bit of a figure on it, the Australian federal government and the Queensland state government announced that they're going to spend a combined $4.9 billion on infrastructure before the city hosts in 2032. So the, the build-up really begins essentially from now or sort of, you know, next year as those infrastructure projects go into planning and then they go into construction or sort of execution mode, which is massively labour intensive, isn't it? So yeah. so I think the, the misconception sometimes people poo-poo that um, an, an Olympics can boom a city because they go, oh, it's just a quick influx of tourists and then, you know, they're in and out. But, you know, no, it's actually a massive amount of jobs, massive amount of infrastructure spend in, in the lead-up. Um, mm. And a lot of those are legacy projects that will um, continue to hold jobs before and, and long after um, well, the, the Olympics and, happen. And the, and the two two capital cities in, in Australia that have had an Olympics is Melbourne in, I think it was 1956, so a long time ago, uh, and then Sydney more recently. If, if you look at overseas migrants who come to Australia, 75 to 80% of them land in Melbourne or Sydney. Today, because they they recognise those two um, mm. cities, you know Sydney probably because of the Olympics, because it's the financial capital, Melbourne because of the MCG and 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 you know um, all of the sporting uh, events that go on there. If it's done well, Brisbane might start to pick up more than more of the overseas migration following the Olympics than it currently does. Uh, that's typically if you, you know if you're looking at what Olympics have done, that that has been the trend. 97 to 03, as you just said, they doubled. That is the three years before and the three years after. Uh, in the lead up, the infrastructure and jobs, post that, the migration uh, and population growth that follows. And we're seeing it a little bit on the ground in Brisbane. It's not in, in full swing yet, but um, the mm. biggest project that, that Brisbane's ever done is the Cross uh, River Rail, which is a, a mm. four or five billion dollar might even be up to $7 billion now. It keeps blowing out. But um, either way, a really <laughs> big infrastructure project that connects the north of the city to the south of the city uh, by rail. Uh, so that then means that you can you don't have to go through the city. That That's huge um, in terms of the connectivity 
of the city as a whole. Uh, they're going to upgrade all the stadiums. They're going to build, uh, they're going to convert a, um, a, a 18-hole golf course into a, um, a New York-like Central Park. Um, you know, there's a whole, wow. whole bunch. We're building a casino, um, the likes of, mm. you know, Crown Casino down in, in Melbourne there. So we're seeing some some big projects get off the ground. They are the catalyst for obviously then bringing in density in and around all this community and, and public infrastructure. Um, so, yeah, I think, hey, Brisbane, uh, fantastic place to uh, invest in today and, and probably for the next decade. Well said. Couldn't agree more. Because we've actually got a more relevant segment than ever because um, – you are a backyard subby. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I might have to explain to the people what that means, but um, we wanted to talk about common mistakes made in backyard subdivisions. Oh, yeah, where back- do I start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many times how did you stuff got? up? <laughs> so good. Hey, and I just, so, so, so sorry. I mean, there's some, I don't know where to start because I got excited, but you did a little subdivision in Tingalpa. Um, when I say little, we, it's yep. something that we would call a bit of a backyard subby and, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But you also actually, the house you live in now was a backyard subby. Yeah. Um, you bought a block, subdivided it, sold off the, the neighbour, you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So we want to talk about common mistakes made in a backyard subby. Um, yeah. Kick us off. Kick us off with the dooziest of mistakes that you have made in so, your so, so, yeah, for context, the subdivision is, you know, you take a... 800 square metre block and you, you subdivide it down the middle into two 400s. Um, you know, you can do it as a battle act. You know, it doesn't have to be straight down the middle, but either way, you turn one into two or three. Yeah. Um, they're a great way to make money if done well, um, mm. but they're not fun, um, you know, and, and <laughs> I guess I've done two of them now. You're right. I bought my own home. I bought a, a 900 square metre block, subdivided it down the middle, and then I just bought, um, my mum and I bought a, a block in um, nearby and subdivided, that was 1,000 square metres and subdivided that into two 500 square metres. And I guess, you know, the, the numbers look really good on the face of it, you know, that, that yeah. say you, you buy it for 500, you subdivide it and you can sell them both for 300 or 350. Um, but there is costs involved and there's a lot of time and effort because it's not as easy as just drawing a line on a piece of paper, <laughs> much as I would love it to be the case. Um, you're generally up for about fifty dollars to $100,000. So most people don't realise that. Um, and then mm. even when you've spent the fifty dollars to $100,000, you've then got to pay sales and marketing to get rid of it. You might have some capital gains tax. So look, you know, um, there is a bit involved. Um mm. You know, that doesn't even account for all the time and effort that goes into getting an approval. Yep. You've often got to get a builder to do the, the, the um, you know, build all the services, do a bit of earthworks. Um, so there's a lot of time and, and cost involved. It's not as simple as just one into two uh, and make some money. Um, but if you do it well, um, they're a great way to make money, that's for sure. For sure. And, and look, I mean, it's uh, one thing that I've learned, not, not having done these, but I guess I've, I've learned just being exposed to these kind of things and, and just development is that um, you do need a fair bit of cash up front um, to, to pay for all of these things before you even get the damn subdivision or, or before you know that you're allowed to in yeah. our council. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is the importance of selling and settling those. That That is arguably the most important part of the whole uh, the whole process 
because yeah. sort of without that settlement or the silent settlement, you, you know, you could be in a little bit of a hole, you know, you've, mm. or you'll be borrowing money on something that, you know, you, you can't make repayments on or, or whatever. So, you know, I would almost say that the, the sale and the settlement or the certainty of that is the most important thing um, to, to tie everything into a, a nice little bow. Um, but, but tell Look, us and it's what, risky because like, no one will give you a fixed price as well. Like in Tingalpa, for example, that cost $100,000. Um, you know, it, it's thirty to forty thousand dollars just to pay the government as a headwork charge. So, so that's yes. gone straight away. It's you know about another ten thousand dollars to get the um, development approval f- through the council, mm. and then you know you've you've got to build the new sewer connection, the new water connection, the new Telstra connection, the new NBN. Um, you know, all that's that right. might be another ten to fifteen thousand. Uh, and then m- most most these days you've you've got different um, requirements. A lot of the older blocks of land close to the city, um, you know, didn't have to slope towards the street, didn't have to, you know, deal with water um, the way that, we, you know, when you've had floods and all that sort of thing. So, you know, there can be twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 pretty quickly in, in, in earthworks and all that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not for someone who's, who's a beginner uh, or, who, or who's got a low risk appetite. Um, cause you know, if, if, if the cost blows out a little bit, it could really hurt your cash flow and, and cause you some anxiety and stress because, you know, you, you've got that, that period where you won't have rent income coming in, obviously, cause you can't subdivide when, when it, when there's a house on, on the block of land. Um, but we're going to see it more and more over the next decade or two, because most blocks of land in and around the capital cities are 400, 500, maybe even more square meters. And to keep housing affordable, you've got to subdivide and, and create smaller, more affordable blocks of land uh, where people can, can get in at a price that they can afford. Absolutely, Kaz. And I think um, the, the, main, the main story or the main moral of the story is if you want to do it yourself, you really have to do your hard DD, not just your back of the envelope face value numbers, um, yep. which is, you know, buy uh, or, or cost to buy and then you profit to sell. There's a lot more involved in there. Uh, and also um, probably get get a town planner, you know, get some advice from someone who's done it and, mm. and someone who has dealt with that particular council because, you know, it's a full council by council uh, oh, yeah. process. And and a lot of councils have very different idiosyncrasies, you know, or they're very particular on one certain thing or, you know, they've all of a sudden got a new guy and he wants to, you know, go hard on on a certain thing that, you know, may may not even be contemplated by you or, or, you know, a town planner who's never worked in that council before. So a lot of different things there. And then and yeah. then lastly, you want to make sure that you can sell and settle that thing before you go to all the work yeah. um, and may, maybe even see if you can sell it with a with a approval before you've actually spent all the money. Or do it with a friend, you know, do it with a friend and keep a block each. That That's a great way to share the risk a little bit. Um, and I think you make the most money out of subdivisions if you can subdivide and then, and then keep the property and, and build on it. Mm. Um, that would be my my advice. But, yeah, town planner and engineer, they are really vital. Of course, of course. Well, we heard it first from the man who's made many mistakes himself. Not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a love job, Dan, that Dan, one. Dan, Dan, Dan. <laughs> Which one's a love job? They're all love jobs, <laughs> both of them. <laughs> I love real estate. We're done. Yeah, we're I love, I love real estate. All right. Let's wrap it up. Hey, uh, have a great weekend, cuz. Um, got the puffer jacket out, I see. Getting a bit cold oh, down there. Oh, boy. Do the I have Kathmandu it out? The old Kathmandu North Face numbers are getting out again in Melbourne. 
Yeah, and I don't know if we've told the listeners, but Statsman Sammy moved down to Melbourne and joined, joined our Melbourne office at the start of this year. And yesterday we we're having a conversation. He doesn't even have a North Face jacket yet. Mate, how or, did, or, or, how or did Dan jacket. Andrews let him in without oh, a North Face jacket? Oh, I know. That's you outrageous. Just, it must have just you slipped through. I thought through you got in, it at the border. You slipped through in summertime. I think that's what happened. He slipped through. But, you know, I said, Sammy, Oh, he's um, God in for a shock. Lo- God love you. You need to you need to get on that ASAP, ASAP, because um, he's just r- rocking a little gas man at the moment, and he's gonna he's gonna freeze himself to death, the poor kid. So anyway, it is cold down here at the moment. Yes, that'll learn him. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Double Shot with your favourite cousins, Alex and James Fitzgerald. If you've got a burning question or something we absolutely need to talk about on the pod, please write to us. Both of our emails are in the show notes. For little real estate tidbits and a little bit of banter, okay, a lot of banter, you can follow us on the gram. Our handle is the doubleshot.podcast. That, my friends, is the doubleshot.podcast. Until next time, think of us when you sit back and sip your next double shot.